Now that we are creators of music, it's important for us to listen to music with a critical ear because we are no longer just consumers of music. We are producers of music. We are creators of music. So there's now a lot to learn from other music rather than just enjoying other music. It doesn't mean we can't still enjoy it, but it's now a great resource for us to learn about different ways of doing things. And today specifically, we are addressing song structure and then some of the other bigger structural components of music that I think often gets overlooked. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to the 132nd, I believe, episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm pleased that you are joining us today whenever you are listening to this. Today we're talking about song structure and some of the big picture stuff that we need to listen for when we are listening to music. Before we dive in, if you haven't already, be sure to pick up my 10 different ways to start writing a song guide. It gives you 10 different ways to, you guessed it, start writing a song, five from a lyrical standpoint, and five from a musical standpoint. So be sure to pick that up if you're looking for a new way to start writing songs, or if you are a beginner songwriter just interested in songwriting and you want uh, 10 different ways to start writing a song rather than maybe whatever the one way you have in your head is, which for a lot of people tends to be grab an acoustic guitar, come up with a chord progression and go from there. But luckily there are so many different ways to start writing a song. Uh, so many better ways also, in my opinion, that's one of my least favorite ways to start a song actually, but be sure to pick that up. Link in the description. It's at songwritertheory.com slash free guide today. We're finishing up this four-part series. Hopefully you tuned into the other three parts if you are a podcast listener. If you missed those, be sure to go back and listen at some point, but this is not a series where it's important to watch all of them or listen to all of them. It's certainly not important to watch or listen in order. They are all perfectly acceptable to be kept totally separate. I don't really rely on you having listened to the other ones, so we can dive right in. The first thing is that I want to talk about here is something that I think is really underrated, that it's really easy to not even think about, and it's really easy to sort of accidentally write all of your songs in one of these and ignore the other ones, and that's time signature. So the default time signature, if you will, and if you're not watching on YouTube and you therefore cannot see me, I just did air quotes, um, but I don't know what the exact numbers are, but it's got to be something like 90% of music is in 4-4 time, specifically in the pop realm. If we're going to separate music into like cl generally classical and generally pop, meaning like all rock, country, whatever fits into pop in this instance, the vast majority of it is 4-4. I mean, there's a reason that its other name is Common Time, right? They got so lazy, they don't, they won't, don't want to write four four on the sheet music anymore. They just want to put a C, be like it's this, it's the same as everything else. So, <laughs> a lot of music's in four four, and four four is great. Most of the music I write's in four four. Most of the music you write is almost definitely in four four. Most of the music that all of your favorite artists write is in four four. But it's important to listen for songs that maybe. Aren't 4-4. There might be a song that, that you haven't really thought about it, but it just feels a little different to you. Maybe you're not exactly sure why. It just has a, like, different feel to it. And you could never figure out why. So you just kind of shrug it off and let it go. It might be that it's actually in 3-4 time. And it should be noted, too, there's, there's more than just these two. But most 
the vast majority of music you hear fits into one of these two. There are some songs in like 5-4, for instance, but there's not that much in 5-4. Uh, and then there's a bunch, too, in stuff like, um, you know, 6-8 or 8-8. Eight, eight. But those are all basically just different ways of counting 4-4 four, four, and 3-4. Um, there are some in 7-8 as well, which or 7-4. Uh, which is basically the same thing as alternating between you have a 4-4 measure and then a 3-4 measure. Or the other way around. You have a 3-4 measure followed by a 4-4 measure. And that just keeps happening throughout the song. But the way to listen for this is literally just by counting it. So if you don't know, 4-4, generally speaking, goes 1-2-3-4. And when I say generally speaking, what I mean is usually... Most of the time, the vast majority of the time, the strong beat is the one, and it's also a strong beat on the three. Not quite as much as the one, though. So it's one, two, three, four. Right? So three is stronger than two, and four, one's the strongest one. For three, four, though, it's one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. So if you just count that out while you're listening to the song, you should be able to easily pick out which of those two it is. And yes, technically, it might be something where it's really an 8-8 or it's really an... Uh, 6-8, but that doesn't really matter. So be listening for that and figure because sometimes, for example, especially in rock music, I found that sometimes a 3-4 can give it this nice um, aggressive feel where it just feels relentless because every one beat is, is the beginning of a new measure and it just has this relentlessness that uh, sometimes I feel like 4-4 four, four doesn't quite have. Um, so some of the more aggressive rock songs I know and that I've loved, I've realized, oh, it's, it's in, that's in 3-4 instead of 4-4. Four, four. But I'm not saying 3-4 is necessarily inherently more aggressive. Obviously, it depends completely on the music that's written. But something to listen for. And also, if you are somebody who has, you're thinking now, oh, I haven't even thought about that. I've written all my songs in 4-4 four, four, as I think about it or as I count them in my head. Try a 3-4. An easy way to do this is just get a metronome that's counting 3-4. You know, there's free ones on the computer, right? Turn your speakers up, 3-4. And then whatever your normal songwriting process is, do while listening to that. Because it's pretty hard to write something in 4-4 while you're listening to a 4-4 rhythm. Other big picture stuff to listen to, beats per minute. I don't think this is a huge deal. Um, but if you can figure out the relative speed... And while you're counting, right, so you're doing one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, you might be surprised that the apparent speed of the song might be significantly different than the actual speed of the song. And something else that I think a lot of people don't realize is, is most songs either don't really or really don't at all change beats per minute between sections. If so, it's like this infinitesimally small amount, right? Like it might go from 120 to 124 beats per minute. Maybe, but most songs are just like they have they have a speed and people just think songs get faster and slower because of the 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 perceptual like the perception of speed. So, you know, an easy example of this is like if you have 16th notes in a measure, that's going to feel fast and aggressive because they're 16th notes or e even more 32nd notes. Right. Because now there's in a 4-4 measure, you could fit 34 of them in or sorry, 32 of them in. I don't know where the number 34 came from. Um, so that's going to sound fast, even if the actual beats per minute tempo is not very fast. In the same way, it's going to probably sound slow in almost any BPM when it's all whole notes. So 
you can change drastically the perceived speed throughout a song without actually changing the beats per minute, without actually changing the beats per minute of the click track that's that's hidden behind the song, if you will. So song structure. Listen for what is the song structure. There are a lot of times that I think we don't even pay attention to song structure at all or think about it, and we just kind of write it off as like, oh yeah, songs, yeah, songs go like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. Oh, and sometimes an artist once in a while like starts the song with a chorus or once in a while they have three verses instead of two, right? And and that's sort of how we, how it's, it's easy to think of song structure that way, right? Maybe you don't. If so, great, good for you. That's good. But a lot of people do to the point that I've had people ask me, wait, what is a pre-chorus? Which, by the way, I think I either just had a video on YouTube come out on that or it's coming out. I actually don't remember. Be looking at the YouTube channel and you can tell me. Um, so, uh, but pre-chorus is an example of like, this is a song section that can make a significant difference in the feel of a song that is easy to kind of just write off. There are some instances, for example, where people just assume, oh, like that, that's the second part of the verse. Like, no, it might be a pre-chorus. What is its function? The function is different, right? Uh, the second part of the verse should sound like the first part of the verse for the most part. It almost, it almost definitely has the same chord progression if it's just a second part of a verse. And it might change the melody up a little bit, but a pre-chorus is, is like a specifically built, usually small section that is specifically ramping up to the chorus. Which doesn't necessarily mean that it's higher energy than the verse it usually is, right? It's usually a step up in energy to build towards the chorus. But sometimes you can do it the opposite way where you actually bring down the energy so that the chorus explodes even more by the time you get to it. Because everything with music tends to be relative in size, right? So, for example, uh, my criticism of, and this is a blanket criticism, so it's not necessarily completely true, but... Um, with a lot of music that's like screaming the whole time and heavy guitars the whole time, some people describe it as relentless, um, which I like. I like some relentless music, but to me, it's not relentless. It's just like it sets it sets the bar of aggression so high that the aggression just doesn't seem impressive anymore, right? It's like Transformers. There's so many explosions that the meaningfulness of an explosion is completely lost. It's just like, ugh, there's another one, right? But if you have a movie where the whole time you're like worried, you're, you're huddled up in a little town and you're worried about a nuclear bomb that may or may not come. The one explosion the movie has, has all of the feeling in the world, right? And I don't think there's a movie like that, but just, just to illustrate, right? Like things tend to be very relative. It's kind of like, you know, in an Avengers movie, they save the entire universe or whatever, but that doesn't really feel that different necessarily than than maybe the climactic fight between Batman and the Joker, even though it's it's really a battle of wits. We all know Batman's going to win the fist fight. Right. The Joker even mocks him about, well, you thought I would I would, you know, put this whole the stock of this whole fight in in a fist fight with you. Um, but that feels just as like momentous, even though it's like a city versus the universe. Why? Because it's, it's about the relativeness of it. So, song structure. <laughs> I know I went off on a little exploratory explanation rabbit, rabbit trail there. That happens from time to time. And hey, good for me. No Star Wars reference. How about that? 
little applause for me. Drop a like on the video if you're here. Good for you, Joseph. You didn't say The Office or Star Wars for a reference. Go you. <laughs> so anyway, poking fun at myself aside, post-courses. Listen for post-courses. This is most common in pop music, but it's another thing to think through like, okay, is there a post-course? What does it do? And And back to the original point I was making about Sometimes we just take for granted, like, oh, it's this, you know, there's this one way of doing songs, right? Where, where there's this verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, right? And there's some really popular songs that you might love and you've never even realized they completely break out of the mold you're used to. So, for example, um, one that I like to go to is, is Journey's Don't Stop Believing," is no matter how you slice it, not a normal song structure because either a you disagree with me and you say that the chorus of the song is the don't stop believing part at the end of the song in which case the song doesn't get to the chorus until the end and it gets to it once and just i guess it like repeats at the end right but it takes three and a half minutes to get to the chorus that's not normal because if you are a person that argues that that is the chorus then you think that the part that repeats after the verse is a pre-chorus which to me doesn't really make sense because a pre-chorus comes before a chorus and in Don't Stop Believing, literally the pre-chorus never comes before the chorus because even the second time through, by the way, and yes, this argue for, I don't know why this argument's a thing for me. I guess because people like want to resist the fact that I'm trying to like make a new labeled thing finale, but, um, you know, keep in mind, all these labels are arbitrary, right? But anyway... The framework of, of Don't Stop Believing is verse, and then you have what some people call a pre-chorus, what I would call the chorus, and then you have a second verse, and then the pre-chorus slash chorus again, and then you have a solo section, sort of like a bridge, that has the music of both the verse and what I call the finale, what a lot of people call the chorus, that only happens at the end of the song, and then the song ends, right, which is... Not a traditional, no matter, no matter how you define those things, that is not a traditional song structure. Nobody thinks anything of it, though. They just think, oh, that's Don't Stop Believing," one of the few songs on the planet that every single person has heard, right? Like, there are some songs, it's like some movies, right? If It doesn't matter if you like Star Wars or not, boom, there it is. Um, it doesn't matter. There's certain things you must know about it to be remotely cultured, right? You don't need to watch Star Wars to know that Darth Vader is Luke's father, right? And if I spoil that, I'm not even sorry. It's literally been over 40 years. Like, also, it's everywhere. So, like, you you just know that. In the same way that, like, everybody's heard Don't Stop Believing," right? There might be some pop songs now that, like, it would be like, oh, really, you haven't heard that at all? Like, not even a grocery store? But, like, certain songs transcend all of that, and it's like you literally have lived under rock if you haven't heard it. And even some of those break these conventions, which is why it's important to actually listen to the song structure. Soapbox over. So does it have a long intro that might be separate from the music of the verses? Because oftentimes the intro of a song is really just the music of the verses before the vocalist starts singing. Very often. Very common. It's not always that way, though. So don't take that for granted. There are plenty of songs that have an intro that's really its own song section, really. Is there a bridge? Does the song start with a chorus? Some songs do that. Why do some of them do that? Now, some pop songs, the 
cynical person in me says is the reason they start with the chorus is because in pop songs, in order to be popular, you got to get to the chorus as quickly as possible, which is why they try to pressure you to get to the chorus within 30 seconds because people don't have attention spans, specifically people who listen to pop music, apparently. So uh, they try, they're like, well, screw it. I'm not going to write a super short verse to make sure I get to it within 30 seconds. I'm going to start with the chorus, give the people the best stuff right away so that they're hooked for the rest of the song. Sure. That's the reason for some things. But there might be some scenarios where giving that sort of overarching context of like, here's what the song's about. Now let me start to tell you the story might be more effective than in some cases than starting to tell the story and then being like, here's what here's what the song is about. So the other overarching question to be asking. Besides just what is the song structure? Right, listening for pre-courses, post-courses, listening for intros that are different than the music of the verses, listening for again what I call a finale, um, which is basically what you have at the end of uh, "Don't Stop Believing," where where if if you haven't heard my thing about it before, basically I define a finale as it's a section of a song that a comes at the end. B is the clear emotional height of the song. It's, 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 the, it's the high point of the song emotionally and energy-wise, like a chorus normally is, and it only happens once. Um, it could repeat at the end, I guess, but like the point is a chorus, by definition actually, by the way, is a, is a section that, that's supposed to repeat, is a section that should come up again and again within the context of a song. A finale, though, to me, is that hybrid of a chorus and a bridge. It, it borrows from the chorus that it is the emotional high point of the song. It is the biggest, probably, thematic moment of the song. It's the climax of the song. But, like a bridge, normally, it doesn't repeat. It just happens once, and then it's done. And I call it a finale because it's kind of like, you know, the finale at the end of a, a, a concert or something. So... The second big question to be asking, besides what is the song structure, is how does the song structure influence the story? Does the song end on a verse, for example? Does the last chorus change the lyrics? That's something that's very common to do, where the last chorus changes the lyric because maybe the context of the story has changed, or maybe the attitude of of the the protagonist or the person who's telling the story via the song has changed now, which is a great way to sort of resolve emotionally what, what, what happened before, right? Also sometimes based on story developments that have happened in the bridge, especially, but also maybe in the verses, the previous was previously said in the chorus might not make sense anymore. And there are some artists that make big practice of actually often changing the lyrics per chorus, where the chorus maintains the same melody or very similar melody, but the lyrics change very often. Five for Fighting is one that comes to mind for me that like, uh, like a hundred years, um, slightly adjusts the lyrics every chorus. Uh, I, I can't remember if Superman does. I think Chances might. No, I don't think Chances does. But a lot of their hits, uh, his hits, change. Every chorus, even. So again, how does that affect the story? How does that affect what what uh, what 
what's been said, because one of the challenges often with the chorus, right, is like, how do I write a chorus that's universal enough that it makes sense after the context of every verse? Because you can't just go back to the chorus and be like, it's the chorus. It doesn't matter if the lead in from the verse doesn't make sense. Like, it does matter. It does matter. Of course it matters. And your chorus has to be able to fit in the context that it keeps coming up in, right? So it needs to, if, if you have your traditional st structure, it needs to fit after the first verse, verse in context. It needs to fit after the second verse in context. And it has to fit after the bridge when it comes back for the final time. So pre-chorus, as far as its effect on the story, because we're going to be talking a little bit more about pre-choruses here in, um, I believe it's this Friday that video comes out, talking about pre-choruses. It can function as like a behind-the-scenes sort of, a, of like a, a behind-the-story that's coming up in the chorus. So for example, if your verses aren't specifically addressing what you're talking about in the chorus, especially in scenarios where the chorus is like light on material. So a song I could think of that's a, that's a good example of, of when you kind of need a pre-chorus to set up the chorus is the sound by the 1975. So yes, referencing a pop song here, which I will, I'm not even ashamed to admit, I love that song. It's There's something about it that's just so infectious, I can't not like it. Also, it's pretty lyrically sound, but um, anyway... The entire chorus is just the repeated, annoyingly catchy. It's not really annoyingly. I like it, but um, you know, I, um, I know when you're around because I I know the sound. I know the sound of your heart. Repeated over and over again, which you need some context for. Like like what? Okay, fine. And the verses are kind of talking about you know the this this relationship that's mired with lies and, and all that kind of stuff. And the, but they set up specifically so that it makes sense the like, but I know that you're around because in the pre-chorus with what they talk about there, if they jump straight from the verse into the chorus, it wouldn't really make sense. It would be like, okay, that's cool, dude, I guess. Or maybe it's creepy. I, I don't really know. The pre-chorus, though, sets that up so that it makes sense. So it's important to think about how the song structure is influencing the story that is being told. So to go back to the finale example, because I love them, um, which again, if you're struggling with the finales, it's basically a coda, but I'm giving it a name because a coda is very vague and generic. It just means like a section that happens at the end of the, end of the song that hasn't been done before. But at least when I think of a coda, I think of like the coda at the end of a song in a hymnal, where like it's just they slightly change it so that it actually resolves on the one chord and maybe has like an extra repetition of one of the lines or something. And it's pretty underwhelming. And I know that a coda really is a generic term, but th that's my point. A finale to me is not generic. A finale is a specific has a specific specific emotional role as a specific role the way that pre choruses and choruses and post choruses have. But but what a finale allows you to do, and a part of what I like it, like, like about it, is it allows you the ability to save the main point of the song for the very end, the main emotional climax for the very end. So you're not spoiling it 
you know, 45 seconds in when you get to the chorus for the first time. And instead you get to use the chorus and the verses to build to this even bigger conclusion than what the choruses have. Also, also there's the bonus of another reason I love them is if you write a killer chorus, usually when people hear the chorus, they think, okay, well, that was the high point of the song, right? Like it's never going to really get better than that. Yeah. The third chorus is usually more exciting because there's like an extra guitar in it or whatever. But like, generally speaking, like I've, I've heard the highlight 45 seconds in a finale though, is like this pleasant surprise. That's like, oh, that's even better than the chorus. And then you only get it once and then it's done which is great because then it leaves people wanting more and they don't get it. Whereas like a chorus, right? If you beat the living crap out of it, you have it three or four times throughout the song. By the time the song's done, they might actually be like, yeah, I'm ready for that song to be done. Chord progressions. Chord progressions are another thing to listen for. And I think chord progressions are some of the hardest things to hear unless there's a pretty, pretty clear chords going on right because a lot of times there are like you know piano parts and stuff like that where it's, it's hard to figure out just by ear unless you have perfect pitch or are trained to listen to music by ear it can be pretty difficult to pick out like oh within that piano riff i hear that that's basically a g chord with an added c and it's it's basically uh you know after that it goes to a a minor chord and oh that's interesting the a minor chord is oh it's a minor seventh chord that stuff is hard to pick out usually. What is easier to pick out, though, is just some of the more generic, general, overly used chord progressions, like a one five six four. Uh, if you ever listen to that that one song, I forget who it's by, but they they basically make fun that like every song is this, every popular song is the same chord progression, which isn't true, but there are a lot that fit into it. Uh, Axis of Awesome, is that what it's called, I think? Uh, I think that's what the band is called. But if you listen to that and you hear what they do, it's a pretty distinctive chord progression. It's the type of thing that you can kind of learn to hear. Um, so that is also something else to listen for. It's, it can be helpful to develop your ear a little bit more to be able to better hear chord progressions and then at least be at the point where you can hear like, okay, I think that's a non-conventional chord progression or it's hard to tell. Let me look it up because, uh, chord progressions are another thing or, or just chords in general. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of chord progressions because I feel like when people hear chord progressions, they think like chord sheet and they, they think like super simple chords like C, G, A, C, G, A, C, G, A. And by A, I mean A minor or in the key of C major, but and I like there's so much more interesting things you can do. Um, not that a chord progression makes or breaks a song. I would argue a chord progression very rarely has any like has significant impact on the song overall. It's more how the chords intertwine with the melody and 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 is much more important than just the chords themselves. Um, for example, you could build a, and create a very interesting good song on top of like one or two chords, honestly, like you really could, it, w it would need to have a pretty good melody that, 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 um, I don't want to say compensates for, it, but really it's, it's all about that, the melody and lyrics, right? If there's a great melody, people aren't even paying attention to the chords. Um, but still a good thing to learn to listen for. So finally, what are the big questions I want to leave you with? How do the lyrics and the music combine to tell the story? 
This is a big one. Not going to dive into this because I think we're going to be talking about it more here on both the channel on YouTube and maybe in the podcast as well. So I don't want to go too far down that road, but the lyrics and music have to be so well on the same page. And that doesn't mean you can't go for irony. I'm a huge fan of happy sounding lyrics that actually have a lot of dark undertones. Big fan of that. It can really help to elevate sarcasm. I find that like a, a, a sort of poppy sounding, happy sounding song paired with bitter sarcasm uh, tends, at least to my ear, pair better, even though it's kind of ironic and it sounds wrong, right? Because it sounds happy, so it must be nice, but it's actually like really brutal. Um, I actually think it tends to fit better than brutal sounding music that's brutal because sometimes it sounds too tryhardy, right? It's like when that one kid in high school tries way too hard to insult you. When somebody like flippantly insults you, that that kind of hurts more. Like, oh, that was so easy. Um, but making sure the melody and the lyrics are on the same page and how the how the melody and the chords work together, because melody and chords are really working together to really create the tone of things. Like, for example, this is something else we're going to talk about more in depth uh, on, on the YouTube channel, at least, is, for example, if you, if you have a C chord, which has C, E, and G, but you're sustaining vocally an A, which isn't in the chord, there's going to be a lot of tension to that. But the A itself in the melody doesn't have tension. Right. It's just it's just a note. There's there's no it, it doesn't there's no tension in a note. There is a tension in a note in context, though, which in the context of a C major chord an a being belted out. Is going to have some tension to to it relative to, say, a G, which will have less tension and how you sing it matters too, and all that. Sure, there's a bunch to get into, but make sure your uh, lyrics and music Combine well to tell the story and listen to other songs to see how well they combine so you can learn from that. The songs that do it well and songs that maybe you think don't do it well. And then other questions to ask yourself because you're a songwriter now. And I hear too many people, even people who like are sometimes aspiring songwriters, I hear too many people who um, will say things like, oh, yeah, that's a great song. And then if you ask them the very basic question, OK, what's it about? They can't tell you if you don't know what a song is about, you have no business saying it's a good song. Period. <laughs> like that's like saying, oh, that book is fantastic. What's it about? What's the basic plot? Couldn't tell you. Great book, though. Right. Like, nope. Nope. So don't do that for songs. So as a songwriter now. Even if you are, you're not quite sold on my whole thing, maybe you're new here, you haven't heard my thing, but like, you have to take pride in you are a poet now, okay? Because as a lyricist, you are a poet. Lyrics aren't to be thrown in. They're not non-important. They are literally what the song means. They are very important. If you think lyrics aren't important, do the world a favor, do yourself a favor, and don't write lyrics. Write music that doesn't have lyrics if you don't care about lyrics, okay? If you're not going to take it if you're not going to take it seriously and be a poet, leave the lyrics out then. Spare us all the meaningless cookie-cutter lyrics. Don't do it. But if you're going to take it seriously, great. So, on that note, 
listen to the meaning of the song. That is my plea. And then the last thing to ask is, overall, did this song resonate with me? Because I think you should you should analyze songs that you do and don't like. Analyze all of the songs. And then figure out why. Right? What are the things that I really like about that song? If, if you ask me about any song that I like or don't like, I can usually tell you exactly why. Uh, some songs I, I maybe can't figure out. I can't quite put my hand on it. But like sometimes I'll say like, oh, I really appreciate the interesting melody of the chorus or, you know, the reason I don't like the song is to me, at least the verses are actually pretty good and compelling. And then the chorus just falls flat. It feels unexciting. I like the verses better than the chorus, which is usually not a good sign for a song. And the reason is, you know, the chorus is overly repetitive and and like it sort of sounds like it thinks, ooh, this is a brilliant thing that I came up with. And it repeats the same line over and over again, but it's not that smart of a line. But you can tell the writer thinks it's smart. Right. Like I can explain to you all those sorts of things. Why? Because I'm listening analytically and that helps me with my own songs. It sometimes hurts because then I, I take that critical mind to my own stuff which sometimes maybe makes it so that it's harder for me to release music faster or let go of songs faster because I, I'm so picky with my own stuff. So I guess that's the curse of it. But at the same time, when I do release something, I tend to be much more proud of it than I think I otherwise would be if I wasn't being so listening with such a critical ear to other music, learning from it, and then um, listening, li listening back to my own stuff, writing my own stuff with that same critical ear. Because that's the point here, to improve the point here is not to be a music critic nobody likes those people um you know some of you might even hate when i poke fun at taylor swift or who whatever pop star of the week i choose to make fun of if if i want to change it up um but but you know that's mostly mostly all all in good fun there are some things about pop music that i do have a like real issue with like for example you know it, it is overproduced it's it usually is produced to the point that it's lost a lot of its art and, you know, you can tell some of them are almost machine generated, right? Like people write it because they they're under the gun and they're not meaningful songs. They just say the same crap. Like there's a lot of things to criticize pop, about pop music. But being a critic, right, is just the, that person that just criticizes for the sake of criticizing, not to eventually build up, right? And hopefully when you're listening to your own music specifically or if you're listening to each other's music, the goal should be listen with a critical ear so that you can make it better. Not just so you can tear things down. Don't be somebody that does things just to tear things down. Unless it's Taylor Swift, then go for it. Just kidding. Just kidding. Which I have to, I feel like I have to say because I learned at work recently that apparently my smile does not translate through audio. So people don't know when I'm joking sometimes. So for you on podcast, I'm joking. It's okay. Thank you, as always, for listening. I think some of the ones coming up will be a little shorter than some of these have been, but there's a lot to tackle in these. Even though I broke it up into four parts, to think I thought I was going to do this all in one part initially. Hilarious, Joseph. Hilarious. It would have been a two-hour episode, but thank you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, be sure to leave a review on iTunes. It helps out immensely, preferably five stars. If you don't think the podcast deserves five stars, then I, I don't know. Why, 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 why listen? <laughs> I guess. Don't listen to me if I'm not worth five stars. 
Um, but but seriously, um, it is really helpful when I get good reviews on the podcast. And if I if if you if you really feel like you can't get five stars, I'm not telling you to lie and put five stars. But I would prefer you shoot me an email. Let me know how I can improve, how I can teach you better. I used to say that all the time. I've forgotten to say it for a while, so that's my bad. But yeah, so preferably if you're somebody who feels like you can't give it five stars, that's totally fine. Just try not to tank the stats from those that do feel like it's five stars. Um, it helps, gives me a chance, a better chance uh, over time of reaching more people and improving, right? We all improve. Hopefully you're improving your songwriting, right? I'm working on my songwriting. I'm also working on how well I do at this stuff, at YouTube, at at podcasting. And hopefully if you listen back to my first episode to now, I'm hopefully much better today than I was then. I certainly can speak for longer, perhaps to everyone's chagrin. But with that being said, don't want to take up any more of your time. Make sure to go out and songwrite this week. It's important to actually do, not just to listen. So if you've listened to four podcasts straight from me that me and you haven't written any music, that means it's been a month and you haven't written any music. That's one twelfth of a year. Time adds up fast. Make sure you songwrite this coming week before you listen to anything else that I put out there because the most important thing is not that you listen to this show. The most important thing is that you actually use what you learn. You go out and you songwrite. Again, free guide in the description, songwriter theory, songwritertheory.com slash free guide if you're interested in 10 different ways to start writing a song. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And I will talk to you next time.